You're listening to NASA in Silicon Valley, a conversational podcast series from NASA's Ames Research Center to chat with the various scientists, researchers, engineers, and all-around cool people at NASA. If you check out nasa.gov Ames, we have a handful of cool stories for you. First, NASA's Kepler just confirmed over 100 exoplanets during its K2 mission. We have another story up about using 3D simulations and a NASA supercomputer to better understand the origins of stars. And finally, we have a new story uh, in collaboration with Goddard Space Flight Center and the Earth Science Team on NASA's Atmospheric Tomography, or ATOM, mission. This is a flying laboratory that is the first to survey the atmosphere over the oceans. Well, today's guest is NASA research scientist Mary Beth Wilhelm. Mary Beth works on NASA's Journey to Mars in the Planetary Science Branch at Ames. Uh, we talk about why that journey is worth the risks and also how we can answer some of humanity's fundamental questions about life beyond Earth. And of course, we talk about how she got into NASA and her interesting trips to various deserts throughout the world to help study Mars. So here we go. But yeah, it's cool. So we, we've needed to touch base for a while. I know. Uh, it's like, crazy. So I submitted my big paper to uh, journal. Really? Yep. Cool. Well, we need to like like go back on like Mars Fest, let alone water yes. on Mars. So yeah. it's been a while, like all Mars things that Mary Beth does. But <laughs> for anybody who doesn't know you, um, kind of we can even circle back to the beginning of, you know, what brought you to Silicon Valley in general, but then also how you got into NASA. Kind of sure, kind of yeah. like little intro thing. So, um, yeah, so I actually grew up in the Bay Area, so I wow. didn't really realize that this was a weird place to live or to be <laughs> until I decided that I wanted to do my bachelor's out on the East Coast at Cornell University, and I realized within three weeks after running out of my winter clothes that I came from a pretty good place. <laughs> <laughs> you really, like the Bay Area seems really yeah, nice yeah. after you get a taste of some yeah. good old Northeastern winter. Exactly, but I did my, I went to high school in Mountain View, so oh, wow. I was kind of surrounded by the children of all the the Googleites and all the Silicon Valleyites. Well, it must have um, like came up while you were growing up. It yeah, I mean, it didn't seem it didn't seem like a weird thing until I until I went away and then came back. Yeah. And then how did that end up leveraging into into NASA? Yeah, so. so I was lucky to have a NASA center just down the street, and I've loved space and exploration since I could breathe. <laughs> <laughs> and ever since I was a kid, I was really into Mars and into geology. My first grade uh, science experiment was actually about uh, planetary science, and that's what I'm doing my PhD in right now. So it's always sort of been on this trajectory. And uh, when I turned 16, I um, had a friend of a friend of a friend who worked at NASA, and he got me a summer job. And it's like an I, internship, or um, I was actually working as an admin, like copy machine, <laughs> fax machine, entering things in Excel sheets. But I met um, some of the other folks that worked here, and they had a lot of uh, projects that needed they needed an extra hand on. And so I got hired on while in high school to work part time at NASA, and the rest is sort of history. Oh, that, I think of like <laughs> all the part time jobs to have as a kid, <laughs> as a high schooler. It was pretty incredible. <laughs> like, yeah, I worked at an ice cream shop. You worked at NASA. <laughs> <laughs> but it was amazing. I always felt really at home here, and I've always uh, credited those women who hired me, hired me on so young for giving me kind of a leg up on the competition um, and sort of setting my career on this trajectory 
Um, so yeah, I don't know. Oh, that's pretty cool. I remember the first time that I, I saw you was during the whole Mars, the water on Mars, um, uh, the big announcement that that came in last year. So, um, and you're actually a co-author on that, right? Yeah, I'm the second author on that paper. So, if I understand it correctly, um, then it's really coming down to like you know like a really salty water that you know probably previously didn't think could exist on Mars. But because, considering how cold it is, but since yeah. it's a brine, then you saw, you kind of go into a little bit yeah, of like sure. what was. Yeah, so NASA's always had this fixation looking for water on Mars. And in the in the past, it's more been focused on looking for signs of ancient water. And mm -hmm. there's all this evidence for maybe ancient shorelines and, and valley networks and all these sorts of things that point to a lot of water that used to exist on the surface. But for Mars's recent history, it's been pretty dry. It's been a, a dry, dusty desert and... Um, just a couple of years ago, the, the first author on the paper, he, he made this observation of these features, these ge geologic features of um, that were appearing during springtime and summertime months okay. on the sides of slopes and on the sides of craters, and they named them recurring slope lineae, so just these, these features that would appear, and then they disappear. Okay, and this is from like on. the satellites going around yeah, Mars. Exactly. They're taking pictures, and you're kind of mm -hmm. looking at comparing them. Yeah, so they they were looking at um, high resolution images. So then, when this the student then he actually made this discovery as an undergraduate. He went on to graduate school uh, at Georgia Tech, where I where I'm currently doing my PhD as well. And uh, he started looking into uh, other data sets that are on board this satellite, trying to see if he could deduce any chemical information. Mm -hmm. So I was there the day that he was looking at the, the data that had just come down from the satellites and had seen this weird signature, and it was right over these weird features, these recurring slope lineae, and uh, it came back with a signal. And he was like, what is this? Does it look like water? And, and uh, I was the first one to kind of point out, maybe I had the hypothesis that it was actually a, a salty salty water mixture like a brine mm -hmm. I guess a brine yep and that's what it turned out to be and so by having the salt in there it makes the liquid water actually stable on the present day surface of Mars where uh, it's too cold the okay. pressure's too low to support liquid water so this is sort of the magic trick so it's not like the liquid water not like our oceans that are salty this is like a super, super salty, salty. Yeah. so it's so salty that it doesn't freeze basically yeah, or just evaporate away immediately okay and then, and then how how does that reoccurrence happen it's still sort of a mystery we don't know the source of the water that's still one of the big mysteries out there um one of the major hypotheses now is that it's forming by this process called deliquescence so the salts have this ability to pull um water out of the atmosphere. So the water goes from vapor form to liquid form. Mm -hmm. And um, so the idea is that there's some sort of concentration of these salts and then concentrates the water and for it forms into a liquid and then flows down the surface. But still super controversial and there's a lot of other hypotheses explaining how these features might be forming. Oh, that, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, and so from the moment when you notice this difference into then that turns into a paper, it turns into an announcement, things get verified, this has got to be yeah. a whole process. It was a year-long process from discovery to... To the announcement. To the announcement, yeah. I mean, and we definitely did our homework and went through all of the major players on the team of uh, that controlled the satellite and that had a really good understanding of the satellite data um, before we put the information out there and got it vetted by other people, wrote a paper, submitted the paper to a scientific journal where it then goes through another peer review process oh, wow. before it can get before it can get published and then 
came the time to tell everybody else about it. Oh, cool. Yeah, everything everybody remembers when the, the announcement came out and around the same time as, as the <laughs> movie. totally coincidence. So, <laughs> so how many people ask you about the movie? The, yeah, the it was funny. Like, it happened to be the week that the embargo on our paper was released was the same week as The Martian. And I had reporters ask me, like, oh, did you... Is it all planned? Was it planned? And, like, no, absolutely not. Like, we had been working on that paper for a year. Like, it just happened. It was, it was truly a coincidence. <laughs> that would take a lot of complicated planning to try I don't like, think to plan it out with their shooting schedule. I don't think even if we tried, we could have done it. <laughs> it was just like a happenstance yeah, it just happened of it all. To be, yeah, but it was cool because um, Matt Damon actually like toasted us with water on <laughs> nice. one of the, I forget, one of the talk shows. Was so it was really cool. salty water, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So then what, it, so okay, so you go through, you have this big announcement. What's the next step? Are you just looking for yeah. another crazy like, like yeah. discovery, or, or do you kind of like like build on what you'd already discovered? Or, or yeah, so my my interest is kind of more in lines of uh, looking for evidence of life. Like, why do we care about water on Mars? Some people care because water is a good potential uh, resource for future explorers of the mm -hmm. Red Planet. But my interest lies more with the um, potential for life having formed or like still a, like existing. microbial even exactly. So. When we talk about looking for life on Mars, we're not talking about little green men. We're talking about <laughs> tiny little micro microscopic organisms that may have uh, developed uh, on Mars a long time ago. So something that um, maybe not many people know is that Mars used to be a lot more Earth-like. Mm -hmm. So four billion years ago, it had liquid water, it had a thicker atmosphere, uh, it had all of the ingredients that Earth did. Um, to start life, all of the delivery of organic compounds by comets and meteorites. So the question is, uh, did life ever develop there? And if mm -hmm. it did, can we find evidence of it or does it still exist today? So these are the questions that really drive my research here at NASA. Oh, wow. And, and so then we had mentioned Mars Fest. It seems to be, it's the, uh, it's the Mars Comic Con, I guess. <laughs> the Mars Con. Because uh, uh, this is like, this is an annual thing that mm -hmm. like, a bunch of researchers and scientists go in the middle of the desert. Yeah. So yeah, I was very sad that I wasn't able to go. But uh, like, what is that like? Or how is that? All yeah, so uh, a month ago, I went to this thing called the Mars Fest in Death Valley. Uh, and it was sort of a celebration of analog research, meaning uh, using sites on Earth, understanding some property about them, and then applying that knowledge to Mars. So I'm someone that uh, definitely has used deserts on Earth uh, to understand more about Mars. Um, so it was a bunch of researchers doing that kind of thing to... Uh, uh, kind of come together, give talks to the public, and get others excited about uh, planetary science and exploration. Um, so that was that was Death Valley. Yeah, it's cool. Well, it's like everybody thinks of Mars, you know, and you know the SLS rocket, you know, building these rockets, yeah. getting how how do you, how do we get there? How do we send rovers there? How, you know, but it's like so much has to happen on that journey to Mars. But it's like these scientific discoveries and things that can help lead yeah. that path. Science is so incremental. Like the things that hit the press are usually the work of hundreds of people doing just their little tiny puzzle piece. And then suddenly w the last piece gets put in and you can see the bigger picture. Um, so that's maybe more of what the, the media does. Uh, yeah. It's reporting on the big leaps and the big strides forward, but it, it stands on the backs of all of the other people who've, who've kind of Little small discoveries yeah. that are just kind of stacked <laughs> up on each other. And 
you're fortunate to put your little piece on yeah. top. And go Science on. is about getting excited about the minutia. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe every once, every once in a while you get lucky and you make a Incrementalism. big... Incrementalism. Yay. Big step. There's a lot of work going on. What is the work that excites you that you're not necessarily have your hands in, but you get to watch it from the side? So it's mm. not necessarily your research, but other stuff that you get to see. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's a hard question. Um, I think oh, there's a lot of really cool research going on here at NASA Ames. Um, definitely, there's uh, a lot of folks that do uh, uh, interesting work uh, studying the, pro um, the different processes going on on Titan. Oh, which wow. is a, a moon of Saturn and has uh, beaches made out of organics, um, which it just totally like fascinates me because we are looking so hard to find organics on Mars. Organics are just carbon compounds and are part of the essential ingredients for life. And uh, we're working really hard to try to make those discoveries and try to understand the, you know, even finding a handful of car uh, carbon compounds on Mars. Meanwhile, on Titan, huh. they have lakes made out of carbon and beaches made out of carbon and it has weather systems i find i find that whole system really fascinating so there's people that work in the lab and they like create you know titan's atmosphere in the lab or they'll oh, wow. create properties of titan in the lab i think that stuff's really cool i've never worked on that though i'm oh. more of a martian <laughs> more of the martian yeah. <laughs> so um what do you see i mean we talked a little bit about some of the research that you're working on now mm -hmm. um so you know we're talk a year from now what, what are your where do you think that the direction's going or yeah so my research right now i've been doing a lot of work in the atacama desert in chile and it is such oh, wow. an extraordinary place it is the driest place in the world the site that i work at and it's not just hyperbole no it is the driest place in the world it, it gets about two millimeters of rain per decade and wow. when it rains, it doesn't even saturate the surface. It like hits the ground and then just evaporates. And so last time I, I was out there in February for a month camping, doing some research, and uh, we came across these like kind of uh, mud flats. And you could see it looked like a cratered surface like the moon, but they were actually the imprints of the rain oh, <laughs> that really? happened here a decade <laughs> ago. So it's just it's incredible. It's hard to describe to someone how dry it is who's never been there. Like I can count the number of plants I saw on one hand. <laughs> Really? During the month. <laughs> so there's no plants, there's no animals, there's no lichens, there's not even really uh, any evidence for microbes surviving in the soil. It's just basically you find these uh, organisms that were blown around by the wind and then deposited and just like accumulated. So all the dead bodies sort of piling up. Oh, wow. Um, so it just, it's a really Martian place. And then the crazy thing to me is that the site is still a thousand times wetter than the surface of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> and so you kind of get that perspective. And then going to the Mojave, uh, the Mojave is a hundred times wetter than Atacama. So it's like a forest in comparison. Like it's hard to believe that much life can survive uh, somewhere in a desert environment. Well, and then so, so my kind of angle with it is I use the Atacama to understand how the remnants of life get preserved in the fossil record. Okay. So I'm looking at million year old soils that have been completely dry since they were deposited. And I'm trying to understand how the remnants of life get preserved in that record. And, and thereby trying to understand what we might look for on Mars, what chemical state would we expect it to be in, um, how, what kind of changes does it undergo in the rock record over that time period under those conditions. Um, and like the cool thing to me, so what I found in my research is that because it's so dry and so salty, it's like mummified. It really? doesn't It doesn't degrade. So we're looking so, at these chemicals from microorganisms that lived a few million years ago, completely intact. <laughs> completely intact. Yeah. 
Wow. And so, um, obviously, if you go down there with a group, I mean, it makes sense that you can, you know, visit a place like this and kind of like through your experience or even running some sort of like run-throughs or, 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 or yeah. dem- demonstrations yeah, to then l- lessons learned to then build into mm-hmm. what you could possibly do at Mars. Yeah, so actually th- I went down with a group um, that also is uh, at, a, at a NASA Ames here that uh, is actually building uh, a robot that has a drill and they're testing the drilling system and a suite of uh, instruments uh, with collaborators at Goddard Space Flight Center and um, with some folks in Spain and at JPL and Pasadena to kind of uh, integrate and test this payload with a a drilling system. So I was on the science team and I was sort of out in my science land (laughs) trying to understand (laughs) things about the Atacama, but then kind of feeding that into the engineers and their designs of their systems. So it was actually a really great experience, um, kind of integration of the science and and tech here at Ames. Oh, wow. Cool. So um, kind of going back to, you know, when you you first came here, even so anybody else that's like interested in eventually wanting to join NASA or interested in like, you're, it sounds very exciting going to going to Chile and going to these yeah. different places. <laughs> but what, what is your day to day? How like you know the, a day in the life of Mary Beth, you know, <laughs> NASA researcher and scientist? How? It involves at least five coffees. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, my work. I'm lucky that my work is very varied. So I'll go to Chile for a month and I'll camp and I'll rough it. I'll collect a lot of uh, samples, return them, and then I'll spend a month in the lab. And I love lab work. Um, it's great because it's like your own little it's only your own little universe that you get to create and have control over and do experiments or test things and analyze things so I'll just spend a lot of time in the lab it's a lot like cooking where you're preparing something and then you're mixing it with something else and you're heating it up and then eventually you run it on um, a suite of instruments that returns information on it so uh, typically I use uh, a system called a gas chromatograph mass spectrometer wow so Wait, okay a really fancy term. The name. and actually it sounds a lot it sounds really scary but they talk about it on CSI all the time so I feel like this is totally fair game to talk about <laughs> um, so basically what I do is I take my soils I'll extract all of the biomarkers out of them that I'm interested in studying okay and I'll concentrate them to a very very small volume and I take that mixture of of organics that I've collected and I'll inject them onto my um, gas chromatograph mass spectrometer or GCMS and basically what it does is it separates out the compounds and then it runs them through a mass spectrometer which takes okay. that individual takes an individual organic and it'll fragment it and it returns um, a basically a fragmentation pattern which is a fingerprint and allows me to identify exactly what the compound is so through that process, then I accumulate a lot of data, and then I'll spend months analyzing that data, figuring out the identity of the organics, and then putting that into the story, going back to thinking about the Atacama and the, the field site. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does this connect to um, the geological environment and um, uh, trying to kind of fit it into a broader story about the history of that site? That's fascinating. Yeah. So, so computers... Laboratory, field science, that's what I love about planetary science. I do not have one singular job. I have many jobs that... You kind of have to have yeah. the, like, different hats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's also cool working also with the other, not only the other NASA centers, but other mm-hmm. researchers, other academic institutions, or yeah. other groups. Yeah, and this is, my favorite thing about Ames is how collaborative everybody is. Like, the culture here is so distinctive, because, like, not only are we in the middle of Silicon Valley, you have access to amazing top-of-the-line technology but also everybody's really relaxed about it and like mm-hmm. willing to collaborate it has that sort of Cal- California mentality and I love kind of the marriage of those two different things it makes it a really great place to work and to do research 
And Ames has historically sort of been a think tank center, and I think mm -hmm. uh, in the future it'll continue to have that sort of uh, academic setting. But I think uh, folks around here are also really interested in getting more involved with mission work and uh, developing instruments and payloads that we can send to other places to investigate these questions we're so interested in. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on out. Remember, folks, you can always reach us on NASA's Ames Research Center uh, on Facebook page and also on Twitter at NASA Ames using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. We would love to get feedback or questions on this episode or any future guests or topics that you'd like to hear about. But thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week on NASA in Silicon Valley. Thank you.